Welcome to the podcast where we answer the question, that's healthy? This is your host, Hope Brandt. Social media has really done a doozy on our perception of health and wellness, and I want to help set the record straight. Quick fixes and fad diets? Unachievable beauty standards? Extreme fitness challenges that leave you more broken than when you started? I'll pass. Taking ownership of your choices, treating your body and mind with respect, filling your life with things and people that lift you up instead of tear you down. Yeah, that's healthy. And that's exactly what you'll find here. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm so happy you're with me today. I am so excited to talk about this topic. It is something that I have been thinking about for years, honestly, and especially these past eight months as my daughter has been here with me. I'm talking about how I am consciously modeling a healthy relationship with food for my daughter. This is so, so important because I do truly feel like I set the tone for this aspect of life for my daughter and for my potentially growing family one day. And I do think this is a case for probably a lot of women. You know, I do a lot of the grocery shopping. I do a lot of the cooking, you know, not necessarily because I feel like I'm trapped in a gender role, but because (laughs) I like doing this. This is a responsibility that I proudly take on for my family. And so I do realize that what I do and what I model and just how I set this environment up is really going to set the tone for how my family experiences food and nutrition moving forward. And even with, um, I know personally, and when I talk with, I would venture to say almost every single one of my clients, how their mother specifically has approached nutrition, the things their mother or their parent has told them about food, those things stick with them. I know they they stick with me and have stuck with me unless I've done some very conscious dismantling of concepts that maybe were not serving me or were not actually true. And, you know, that's something that maybe I would like my kids to not have to do. Not saying I'm not ever going to mess up. <laughs> I'm sure I will find new and inventive ways to mess up my own kids. (laughs) But this is something that I do feel very passionately about. And I do think that I can do some things throughout my baby, babies, maybe one day, throughout their childhood to set them up for success, to have a very positive inner monologue when it comes to food and nutrition, and to have accurate information to know what food is doing for them, what it's not doing for them, what purpose is behind eating certain things. And and really, that's my goal. And modeling healthy behavior around food, modeling a healthy relationship with food goes a lot deeper than just what food shows up on your plate, what food shows up in your pantry. There's a lot of thought and intention that goes into the words we speak about food, the way we subconsciously behave, 
around food and actually what food ends up on our plate. So there's many aspects to this, but I'm going to kind of detail five ways that I am modeling a healthy relationship with food for my daughter and then five things that I am not doing. And I'm making a very conscious effort to do these five things and to not do uh, the things that I will list later on in the podcast. And a lot of these things come naturally to me at this point, but some of the things I know that I am going to have to be very deliberate in speaking over myself, speaking over my daughter, so that I can just go to sleep at night knowing that I'm doing everything I can to set her up with a positive relationship with food. So let's go ahead and start with the five ways I am modeling a healthy relationship with food for my daughter. First is creating meals with all three macronutrients. And I don't mean that as in like I'm perfectly creating meals. I just mean that no macronutrient is demonized. We're not going to be cutting out carbs. We're not going to be eating low fat. There are going to be the majority of meals when I can, when I'm in control of it, when we're at home, they're going to be set up to include all three macronutrients so that we don't create this subconscious fear or avoidance of fat or carbohydrates and so that we know all three macronutrients are important and we know what they're doing for our body and why they're there. If you have been following me on Instagram, we've recently started kind of transitioning into solid foods for MK. And it has been so much fun. Once I got past the initial overwhelm of starting foods, you know, I stay at home with MK every day and it is the biggest blessing in the entire world. I purposefully set up my business to allow me to do this one day. But the thought of starting to include solid foods knowing how much extra work it was going to take, um, having to not only make the meals, but just everything that comes with it, cleaning up, cleaning her, cleaning the kitchen, cleaning, you know, all of the accessories <laughs> that she has to just eat a simple meal. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot to wrap my brain around. But once I kind of simplified it and I figured out, okay, my the biggest barrier that's making me feel anxious about this is that I have to do this multiple times per day. And so she's just starting solid foods. She doesn't need exposure to food multiple times per day yet at this point. So I said, okay, we're just going to do this once a day. I'm going to expose her to different foods and really food under one for babies. You know, there's the saying food under one is just for fun, which it does a lot more. It's not just fun, right? It's actually teaching them and they're learning and experiencing different things when they sit down to eat. But this is still not their primary source of nutrition. That's going to come from breast milk if you're still breastfeeding um, or formula, which we're doing at this point. So once I was able to say, okay, I don't have to do all of this and all of this cleanup multiple times per day. I can wait until we're all home together in the evening. Then David, my husband, is here to help me. Um, and we have a nice little routine going now where, you know, I'll fix her plate. He'll like put her bib on, put her in the chair, get her ready to eat. And then we just go straight from the chair to the bath. And David helps wipe 
up the table and clean the dishes. Um, so we absolutely tag team it and it has been a lot less overwhelming. But anyway, <laughs> that little tangent of if you've been following along, you've seen that we have started serving real food to MK and making PEC plates for her has been so much fun. And it's one of those things where I might make one additional component for her if we're having a protein that she can't really eat yet or something like that. And by can't, I just mean like physically is not capable of having um, or like feeding herself. I might make something like eggs for her or make some sort of like Greek yogurt mixture for her. But for the most part, she's she's eating what we're eating and having this framework to fall back on of PEC plates, protein, energy, and color, I think is just so freeing in the fact that, you know, if you can go through those three elements and see them on your plate and in the meal that you're creating for your family, then you are creating a nourishing and balanced meal for your family, which is fantastic. So going back to the principle of meals, with all three macronutrients. We are not demonizing macronutrients. I hope she never hears me say that I'm, you know, going low carb or I'm carb cycling or I can't have that much fat or I'm eating low fat. Those things are inherently included in our PEC plate meal framework. We want them there. They do good things for us. There's no need to avoid an entire category of macronutrient. So, Meals with all three macronutrients. Second thing I'm doing to model a healthy relationship with food for my daughter is eating meals all together with the family. And mostly what I mean by this is not modeling that mom gets quote unquote special diet food. I can eat exactly what my family eats. I can eat exactly what I fix for my family. And seeing mom eat something different is, you know, strange, right? That kind of creates a a curiosity around it. And then also wondering why is what I'm having not good enough or is it wrong or bad? Do I need to change what I eat as I grow up? And, you know, I don't know if these are conscious thoughts that you would have, but they could you know, be just subconscious observations as a child is growing. So having meals all together as a family, knowing that, and if, you know, if this is something that you're not confident in, (laughs) knowing that you can eat the meals that you prepare for your family and you can still use them to achieve whatever goals you have. So last episode, I talked about the um, concepts of quality versus quantity, what's more important when, um, and how to prioritize both of those things. So know that you can adjust quantities of serving the same meals that your family is eating to help you reach your goals. You can adjust quality altogether, you know, whereas if boxed mac and cheese is a typical side, maybe, you know, one of those times where you typically serve that, you serve roasted sweet potatoes instead or roasted butternut mashed butternut squash instead. So, you know, we can just swap out certain highly processed things from time to time, right? We're not looking for a perfect diet. Perfect diet does not exist. 
(laughs) But increasing quality overall, which just means increasing the frequency of the inclusion of less processed foods, um, can be a way to increase your family's diet quality overall. So looking at both of those things and really making an effort to eat the same food as you serve the rest of your family. And that's, you know, what I'm doing too. I will be serving and eating the same thing. And sometimes that is frozen chicken nuggets. That's okay. We literally did that last night. MK didn't have those yet just because (laughs) she's not to the point of being able to like pick up a chicken chunk. But, you know, one day when we do have that, you know, we'll all be eating frozen chicken chunks and some sort of vegetable and carbohydrate source on the side. And that can make a balanced plate. So the only thing that will be different is the quantity of each of those things because that's unique to the person and their needs. Okay, the third thing is going to be modeling and encouraging listening to fullness cues. And this is such a big one because I feel like so many people grow up hearing that you have to clean your plate You have to finish your plate. There's starving children in Africa and you have to finish your meal, (laughs) right? I know I heard that. I don't know if I heard that specifically from my parents growing up, but I definitely heard that like at school and, you know, in different places. So listening to fullness cues, I think, is such an important way to honor someone's nutritional autonomy, right? They know what is best for them. They know when their tummy is full. And I know that's spoken in very like elementary (laughs) terms, but that's how I'm going to be teaching MK to know when she's done or when she wants more. Feeling full, that's not really something you know how to describe when you're a child or when you're a toddler, right? So asking, okay, is your tummy full? Do you have enough food in your tummy? Do you need more food in your tummy? Those are ways to really check in with physical fullness and hunger cues. Whereas as an adult, we can kind of mentally conceptualize what being hungry is, what being full is. And as kids, we we have to grow up to learn that. So I think checking in very physically and relating it to a physical feeling is more understandable and can help a child grow to learn and observe their own hunger and fullness cues. And that aspect is not too elementary for an adult to explore either. If you have never had the experience of tapping into experiencing your your fullness cues and your hunger cues, getting out of your brain and into your physical body can make that so much easier to detect and just really make the concept more simple. So this can be something that I can practice with MK. I can practice honoring my fullness cues and showing that it's okay if you put some on your plate and you end up leaving a few bites. You don't ever have to finish your plate for some arbitrary reason. And I know food waste is a legitimate problem across the board in America in general. And something that really kind of helps me get past that is knowing that you have already purchased the food, you've already cooked it, and it's already ended up on your plate. That is the purpose of the food that you buy, right? You are not a human trash can. 
you don't have to finish food that's already served its purpose, which is it's there for you to offer to nourish your body and your family. It has served that purpose once it ends up on a plate. So it's not your job to be a trash can and finish the leftover food. If you are done, you're done. If your child is done, they are done. And it's just your job to trust your child to learn these things. And right, it's not going to be perfect. Of course, there's going to be distractions sometimes. Of course, one day I just, you know, I know she's going to take a bite of food and tell me her tummy's full because she wants to go play instead. And then, you know, and 30 minutes later, she's going to come back and be hungry or whatever it is, right? It's not perfect. All we can do is encourage the learning experience (laughs) and trust our child to make those decisions for themselves and start building that nutritional autonomy that you can build within yourself as well, going through this learning experience with your child. So listening to fullness cues, I think, is a huge, huge way to start modeling that autonomy and in reducing the scarcity mindset of having to finish whatever's on your plate Um, Because if you don't, you can't get more or something like that. It's always okay to leave food, even if it's just a bite, if you're done. And being able to practice that, model that, and encourage that is something that I'm really prioritizing through this nutrition experience with my daughter. The next way, this is the fourth way that I am consciously modeling a healthy relationship with food for my daughter is including indulgences when they're worth it. And again, we're not yet to this point where I'm offering MK more treat-type foods like cookies and things with sugar. Um, It is best practice to wait to offer those types of foods until um, at least a year old, maybe even two years old, so that they can just experience more whole nutritious foods And their palate can start to learn and adjust to those foods instead of being kind of inundated with hyperpalatability that we know affects our hunger and fullness, um, hormone regulation. It affects your cravings and appetite. So being able to delay the introduction of those foods in the very beginning stages of life is really helpful to being able to set up an overall healthful and nutritious diet. But when we do get to the point where we're starting to introduce those foods and include those foods, um, my plan is to include them regularly in the context of a meal with knowing that, yeah, tonight we're going to have a cookie for dessert. And that's part of the meal. Maybe the next day I won't offer the cookie. The next day might be we're going to have a piece of fruit for dessert. But being able to include indulgences when they're worth it, not put any food off limits. I think that's so important because that creates a restrictive and scarcity mindset around fun foods that we want to avoid as much as possible. So knowing that, you know, we can include cookies, we can include treats, we can include a piece of candy with dinner. and you will have an opportunity to have those things in the future. This is not just a one-off, you know, it's Halloween night, so you get to have a piece of candy. And then, you know, we hoard 
candy under our bed for the rest of the year and eat it in secret. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's not a personal experience that I can recall, but it very well could have been, I feel like. It's difficult to ride that line of providing healthful, nourishing foods while being able to include enough indulgence that it doesn't create an unhealthy restrictiveness in your diet. Again, these are things that we have to grow up and learn as adults unless we have someone consciously modeling this for us as children. So this is something I had to learn (laughs) as an adult. And it's my hope that I can model this behavior in a way that allows my daughter to be able to bypass that um, or at least take a little shortcut, right? This, I know, and nutrition is very personal. It's very individualized. And every body has a different experience with it based on like their own personality type even. Um, And those things are kind of inherent. They're not changed by very much. So you know, even with this effort that I'm putting in, MK could end up having a completely different relationship with food or completely different experience with it that I can't even predict because I'm not really sure what her natural disposition is yet. I'm not really sure, you know, what her inner drives look like. We may be totally different, but it's just my hope that by concentrating on these things and and trying to model these behaviors as best as I can, that she can, again, at least somewhat bypass or at least have the opportunity to take a shortcut in learning what this type of balance looks and feels like for her. Okay, number five, and this might be one of the most important ways, and this has nothing to do with the food that you're eating or the food that goes on your plate. Celebrating body diversity and functionality over meeting societal beauty standards. And on the surface, you know, we can question what does this even actually have to do with nutrition? But the way that we approach our bodies directly relates to nutrition because our nutrition can be a tool to manipulate and influence how our body looks. And if we are using nutrition for that primary goal of trying to manipulate how your body looks, then we're inherently creating this connection between nutrition and what our body looks like. So by being able to celebrate body diversity, and by that I just mean being able to point out, you know, that people have different body types. And that is something that we don't have direct control over. We can be, you know, our fittest version of ourselves, but we're still ourselves, right? I'm 5'9", tall girl, always had like a curvy build. That's going to be my body type. There's no possible way I'm ever going to be, you know, a petite anthropology model or, you know, whatever it is. Like, that's just not even in the cards for how my body could look. We cannot only celebrate and only idolize one version of beauty or constantly be 
you know, and sometimes I, I do think it's truly subconscious and driven in by different marketing, different branding, different advertising. I think truly just having discussions and a lot of it might be the discussions that or the comments that you don't make. And we'll get to that when I go through the set of things that I am not doing. But I think, again, pointing out functionality is a huge piece of being able to just kind of dismantle the pressure of achieving unrealistic societal beauty standards and knowing that food we eat gives us energy and that allows us to do things, that allows us to think clearly, that allows us to be creative, that allows us to play sports. You know, it allows us to do all of the things that we do and it helps fuel our bodies to be able to do things that make an impact, not just look a certain way. So with that, this is a little bonus thing. So this is technically the sixth thing um, that I'm doing to help model a positive relationship or a healthy relationship with food um, is sharing encouraging nutrition information whenever it's natural and whenever it's pertinent, right? I'm not going to be <laughs> like a nutrition encyclopedia where I list out, you know, all of the vitamins in a food and what it's doing for your body. And, you know, I feel like that could either get overwhelming or annoying for a child to hear constantly. But when it is pertinent, I do think having a basic understanding that food works in your body, food does things for you, is a really important connection to make. And I know personally, I didn't make that connection until much later in life. Food was just something that you eat when you're hungry and you eat what you like. That was all I, I thought about the food that ended up on my plate and in my mouth when I was growing up. So I think being able to know, you know, even things like, you know, the food you eat gives you energy. That's why you eat. That's why you get hungry, because your body is telling you you need more fuel. You need energy and food gives you that. You know, chicken makes your muscles strong. Fruit helps your tummy feel good. You know, these are all things, again, very like basic, simple elementary for children to know as they're growing up. But I think that can help make food more relatable, more appealing, and maybe even, you know, encourage trying different foods or prioritizing healthy, healthful foods that do promote your body's being able to do all the things that that you use food to do, to give you energy, to make your muscles strong, to help your digestion. These are all ways to utilize nutrition that have nothing to do with, uh, you know, trying to reach a certain body size or achieve any aesthetic goal. Um, nutrition is important completely separate from any of those aspects that it can be used for when it comes to aesthetic goals. Um, and I'm not diminishing the, uh, you know, importance of those goals or even striving towards those goals. Again, if you've been following me recently, you know that I am specifically um, tailoring my nutrition to create body composition change and to lose fat mass, maintain muscle mass, 
but I'm also using it to be able to do all of those things to be able to give me energy, to be able to eat enough protein to make my muscles strong, to be able to eat enough fiber to keep my digestion running well. So knowing how food works, even at a very basic level in your body, I think is just really impactful information for a child to have and to be able to relate to nutrition. Okay, so let's head into things that I am not doing. And these would be things that would be in direct opposition to creating or to modeling a healthful relationship with food for my daughter. So I'm going to try to go through these and keep it very to the point. But um, I am not ever insinuating that food must be earned by movement. And this a lot of these are going to come down to the way you speak about nutrition, the way I speak about nutrition around my family, around my daughter. And, you know, it's not just around my babies. I have been trying to create a healthy thought pattern and speaking pattern around nutrition probably, you know, for years at this point since I started getting into nutrition you know, seven or eight years ago. So these things take conscious effort to be able to break down and reform in a way that is positive and that is healthful. So never, ever insinuating that food must be earned by movement, as in I have to work out today so I can have a margarita later. I can't have dessert tonight because I missed my workout today. I didn't take enough steps today. So I am going to not put the avocado on my tacos, whatever it is. That just, again, directly relates to having to earn your food by movement, by what you do during the day. And that just cannot ever produce a relationship that's not going to feel restrictive. So just really, really watching any sort of comments like that. And this one is a little easier for me because I think once you truly know and embody this principle, it's very easy to see when this thought process comes up. It can be very obvious when you start hearing it or start noticing it through from other people um, or with internal thoughts. So just, just really keeping a guard over the words that come out of your mouth, even if sometimes those intrusive thoughts come in, we can be conscious and aware enough to not let those thoughts become words that then influence how our family and our babies view food in relationship to to movement. We never have to earn our food. Our bodies are burning energy constantly. We need food every single day. This is what your basal metabolic rate is. It is the amount of calories that are burned completely at rest. Completely at rest. This is like if you were in a coma in the hospital, your body will still burn over a thousand calories per day. So um, you need food every day, regardless of your activity level. Your babies need food every day, regardless of their activity level. And I never, ever, ever want to make MK question if she has earned her food that day. She does not have to do anything to earn it ever. Her body needs food on a daily basis to function well. 
And that does not ever have to be earned by achieving any sort of movement threshold. Okay, next one. And again, this is probably the most important one. Never, I am never, ever, ever body shaming myself or others or her body, especially ever, ever. I know for a fact anything that my parents ever said to me regarding my body is literally like on a loop in my mind. I will never forget it, ever. Even if something is said with good intentions, even if something is said, quote unquote, out of love, it never goes away. It never, ever, ever, ever goes away. Body shaming yourself is one of those things that is almost equivalent to directly speaking that to your child. If your baby hears you looking in the mirror and saying derogatory things about your body, that is going to be internalized. The words she hears you speak are forever internalized, and they become her inner monologue when she sees herself in the mirror. So anything that you speak over your body, picture your daughter saying that to herself when she looks in the mirror. Don't do it. Don't let your babies hear you saying anything disrespectful about your body. You are so much more than that. And you know that your babies are so much more than how their bodies look. We deserve so much more than to speak those words over ourselves and to have our babies hear those words spoken. So never, ever, ever body shaming myself. Obviously never saying anything to body shame her and not even making comments about others because that creates a direct comparison. Even if it's not something that you're even consciously directly comparing, right? You're not telling your baby, your daughter, your child, whatever it is, you know, your body looks better than that person's body or that person's body looks better than your body. But the comments that you make get related directly back to their own perception of their body. So talking about people who are overweight and what you say about them. What if your daughter gains weight when she grows up? How is she going to think you feel about her now that she's heard you talk about someone who's overweight in a derogatory way? It's very impactful. And people are more than their bodies. You are more than your body. Your baby is more than her body. And we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard when we're talking about bodies or don't talk about them at all. Okay, another thing I'm not doing is using moral language to describe food. As in, this food is good, this food is bad. Every single food on the planet has some sort of nutritive value to our diets. So even if it's hot Cheetos, that food, that's energy, right? That food gives your body energy. Is that a source that we eat every single day for every single meal? No, probably not. But can we have a bag of hot Cheetos if they're offered after the, you know, like five-year-old soccer game? Sure, it's not a big deal. No food individually 
is good or bad. It's all about how it shows up in the context of your diet and the frequency it shows up in your diet. That can determine if it's having an overall positive or an overall negative effect. But I hope MK never hears me say that any certain food is bad for you. Because, and this goes into the next one, it can create pretentious constructs around nutrition. And so what I mean by that and what I mean by trying consciously to not create pretentious constructs around nutrition is that it influences how your child perceives foods and nutrition, right? If you're, we're talking, this food is good, this food is bad. Okay, what if we are outside our home environment and we're seeing a lot of foods that are labeled in our home as bad. We see that we go to our friend's house and we see multiple foods like that in their pantry. Or we're offered multiple foods for, if we're having a sleepover, we're offered multiple quote-unquote bad foods for dinner. What then do you subconsciously even think about the food that is offered and think about the people who are offering that food, right? If this food is bad, and Sally always eats this food. Does that make Sally bad? Does that make Sally's mom bad? And again, I don't know if these are conscious thoughts that a child would have, but these are associations that are very easily formed by how you speak about food, how I speak about food to my daughter. So everyone eats differently for many different reasons. And I want my babies to know that it is never your job to police someone else's plate or someone else's pantry. Every food has something to offer you. And if it's energy, then that's fantastic. It is not your job to police someone else's plate or someone else's pantry. No foods are inherently good. No foods are inherently bad. Foods offer different things that have different effects in our bodies. And lastly, what I am going to try not to do, and I know this can be difficult because food is fun and food can be fun, but um, I really want to not use food as the primary reward system. So if we do something brave, we get a treat. If we do something good, we get a treat. If we had a hard day, we get a treat. I really want to not set up this reward system around food because like we talked about in the beginning, when we can include indulgences when they're worth it, treats can just be fun and they don't necessarily need a specific reason to be included, right? You can include a fun food whenever you want it. It doesn't have to be because you had a bad day. <laughs> And if we're setting up this reward system, I think that can play a big part in creating an emotional eating pattern. And so, again, these are things that we <laughs> go through as adults as well, and we have to consciously dismantle. But it's my hope that, you know, we can enjoy ourselves through food and do things like that without it needing a specific reason without setting up some sort of emotional dependency around food or having fun foods. And 
I can just, again, help create a more neutral relationship with treats and fun foods like that so that it doesn't become the primary coping mechanism for dealing with unpleasant emotions or for rewarding yourself, right? There are many ways to be able to show yourself that you're proud of yourself, that you respect yourself. And a lot of the best ways and most positive long-term ways to do that prioritize your long-term well-being over a momentary fleeting dopamine hit. So that's my hope in being able to model not using food as a primary reward system. Okay, those are all the points that I wanted to hit with this episode. And I know it can kind of seem like a lot. And I absolutely do not want anyone listening to this to feel like you're bad or doing anything wrong as it relates to the things that you model for your family. But I do think just trying to be as aware and as conscious as possible and putting your effort into modeling a healthful relationship with food and nutrition, I think is one of the best places we can put our effort. Because if I can set my daughter up to be more emotionally regulated around food, have a just a solid foundation of information with what food is doing, what food is not doing, then I think that will just help free up brain space that she can use for, you know, inventing the cure to cancer or, you know, just um, creating a new type of artwork, whatever it is that lights her up and makes her who she is and ignites her passion and her purpose, that's where I want her energy to go. I don't want her mental space to be taken up by, you know, having to dismantle and recreate an entire philosophy or um, thought process around food. That's something that I truly hope that I can give her to just free up the brain space for her to make the impact that God has intended for her in this world. So thank you for listening. This is a super, super special episode for me. And I know that I there's no possible way that I can be perfect in these endeavors. But all I can do is try my best every day and learn from my mistakes and then implement that information moving forward to just do the best I can for me and for my family. Thanks for being with me and I'll be back in a couple weeks with the next episode. But wait, (laughs) before you go, I'd love it if you'd share this episode with a friend who needs it. And to make sure we stay connected, find me on social media at hopewell underscore health or for more information about my nutrition coaching services, check out my website, hopewellhealth.online. And always remember, you are smart, capable, and talented. You have what it takes. I'm just here to educate and encourage you along the way. Catch you next time.